Carlsbad, people, purpose, and impact. An essential podcast for those who live, work, visit, and play in Carlsbad. Good afternoon and welcome everyone. My name is Brett Schonsenbach. I'm the president and CEO of the Carlsbad Chamber of Commerce, and I am your host today. And I'm very pleased to have with me Mr. Tim Stripe. Tim is the co-president and co-owner of Grand Pacific Resorts. Thanks for joining us today, Tim. You're welcome, Brett. Glad to be here. Yeah, great to have you. So um, you have been co-owner and co-president with uh, Mr. David Brown, looks like since 1989. Is that right? Is that when you guys started it? All right. Yeah. Yeah, about 1989. And uh, which is, that's quite a, you know, span of time here in Carlsbad. But before that, we have to always go back a little bit before. Got to get the backstory. Um, It looks like you're a CPA, actually, by trade, and you started in public accounting. Is that, how was that? Yeah. No, I spent four years in public accounting, and that was a phenomenal experience, and glad I did it, and certainly has served me well through the years as I've uh, started and built Grand Pacific Resorts. Yeah. Yeah, I bet it has helped. Grand Pacific Resorts. I mean, I'm, I'm fortunate. I feel like uh, I'm fortunate because my wife and I uh, are owners at Grand Pacific. And okay. since, I can't remember if it was 2002 or 2004, but it's pretty pretty long time Okay, at Palisades. And uh, so we've got to see how it's evolved. But these days, um, for those that might not know, tell us all that is part of the overall picture of Grand Pacific Resorts, not just the hotels in Carlsbad, but the timeshares and everything, all your places. Sure. I mean, Grand Pacific Resorts is divided into probably five distinct segments of business. So we have the resort operations, which you allege to, Brett, that you and your wife and family are a part of. Mm-hmm. And that encompasses today about 23 properties located mm-hmm. in the Western United States and Hawaii nice. that we manage. Of that, Uh, We developed, uh, I believe, nine of the 23 ourselves, Mm -hmm. and so uh, we have taken on management contracts. Overall, we probably service in excess of 100,000 resort owners uh, within the Grand Pacific system. So that would be a first line of business that we would have. A second line of business is a little company called Advanced Financial uh, that does loan servicing and does all the assessment billing for the HOAs. That company over the last four or five years has grown phenomenally. It's Mm -hmm. the largest servicer right now for the residential wholesale industry. Wow. So overall, that, that little company has about 80,000 different loans at services of about thirty dollars to $35,000 in size per loan. So overall, it's about a $3 billion operation asset size that it services. Uh, the next uh, third group that we would have as an organization would be our hotel group, hotel division, and that currently has three properties in it. Two are uh, franchised by Marriott. One is franchised by Hilton. It's the Weston, the Sheraton, the Kassara. Mm-hmm. So the fourth level of business that, that we would have would be timeshare sales and marketing, which currently markets and sells primarily what is at Marbrisa yeah. and what is at Palisades, which is some of the inventory that comes back for sale, as well as Seapoint. And that is a, a venture that is between Hilton Grand Vacations and Grand Pacific. 
And the fifth and last operation that we have, it would be real estate development. Mm -hmm. And so that in right now is uh, primarily does two different things. Number one, a lot of the resorts that we have that are in the resort operational group are coming up for repair, maintenance, mm -hmm. and uh, rehab of a lot of the existing uh, structures. We're going to be going next year into the Seapoint Resort That's and doing a major rehab on that that'll probably go on for two or three years. Wow. We just finished this year a major rehab on the Carlsbad Inn. And then we also have a, a, the, part, the other division or, or part of that organization is the new build development. So what, as you've seen over the last three or four years, as the Weston has come about as what replaced what was an old rusted out water tank up on the hilltop, uh, we self-perform all of that construction work internally. So we really don't hire a lot of general contractors. In fact, mm -hmm. on that project, we hired no general contractor, and we then contract directly with subcontractors and trades throughout the industry. Wow. That's a lot. So the resorts that you guys manage um, span, like you said, uh, the Western. I mean, I saw California, Utah, Hawaii. I don't know if there were some other states that you had some that you managed. But, um, and it all started with just here in Carlsbad with like with one? Is that how it started? Basically, as a management group that started under an organization as Winter's Circle Resorts International. Uh, it was Jim Watkins, and that's kind of who I started my uh, timeshare hospitality industry with uh, back in the early 80s. And so as time went on and we looked at what projects had been sold out, which was the Carlsbad Inn, the Southern California Beach Club in Oceanside, the San Clemente Cove up in San Clemente next yeah. to the pier, we decided it was time to start a management company. So David Brown, my partner, primarily was the, the impetus that got that started and going. And so uh, that has then led to uh, those three properties to then we, uh, from what we built and developed, uh, into where we are today. Very amazing. I was on your website, and um, I love, there's a page called um, Your Values, and it says this. It says, Enriching lives by creating experiences worth sharing. Enriching lives by creating experiences worth sharing. I think that is a great value statement. And um, well, as I said, we've our lives been enriched by it. So tell us a little bit about the you know your guys's philosophy and in, in, in terms of you know what you want to create for your guests. What you want to create is the happiest experience you possibly can. And that can take all sorts of uh, different directions, Brett. It could be anything. Obviously, the facility, when they come in, has got to be something that's appealing in a location that, that, that makes sense of where people like to vacation. And then from there, I think it's, it's, it's then having a room that's created and is, is just for them that they really enjoy and want to be with. And then it's letting the whole family unit have a good time. Yeah. And I think if we can create the amenities on the property, be it the swimming pools, be it tennis court, be it uh, uh, the spas that they can relax in yeah. at the end of the day, uh, and then create a, a, an environment that's really inviting uh, to them, uh, both inside the unit as well as the grounds that are kept up and kept in an A place, A plus condition. And I think it leads to what can be an exciting experience, whether it's just a couple days or whether it's a week or more, yeah. or more, whatever yeah. that might be. Um, 
Yeah. It creates a good environment for them. Obviously, keeping that experience going year after year with multiple properties is a, is a challenge because as you've already pointed out, like you, you got to keep upgrading and keep, keep refreshing. Tell us about that cycle. Like how do you approach it from a business standpoint and keeping your properties that top notch? Well, within the uh, association fee, which is a homeowner's association that everyone joins and belongs to, there's two components. There's an operating component and a reserve component. And so the reserve component is really saving the money ahead for what you need to do to refurbish either the inside uh, and or the outside. So I think it's keeping track of of what's going to be coming up, what is necessary. And it varies by property, by location. Sure. And making sure that the financial resources that you're saving for match what the expenditures need to be uh, when the expenses uh, are incurred. Yeah, it's a complex business. I mean, I don't know if people realize how complex all the moving parts are. You know, just that kind of having to have that kind of foresight and keeping your property up to that level. But um, you know, you talked about the financing angle, the sales angle, all these different moving parts that come together to make it successful. I, it fascinates me. And then we had something that none of us saw coming called COVID. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a brief pause to hear a word from our sponsor, and then we're going to come back and talk about what the COVID effect was for you guys. So we've been talking with the co-president and co-owner of Grand Pacific Resorts, Tim Stripe, and we'll be right back. So let's talk about what you guys experienced with COVID. Um, obviously, it's unprecedented. You know, it's not something in any of our lifetimes that uh, had been experienced. And what were the, well, you have both timeshare resorts and then you have the hotels. So what did you guys experience through this? Well, you know, the experience uh, changed throughout the whole COVID term. So if you look at the overall timing of COVID, you say, wow, okay, it started probably in March of 20. And then is it over yet? Yeah. Is it over yet, Brett? What's your thoughts? Not quite. Okay. All right. So tired of hearing about new variants, you know. Right, right. So here's kind of the way we looked at it. When we first saw it kind of coming in front of us into December 19, January of 20, we said, okay, it may be an event that affects us for the spring. Yeah. And so we'll kind of just uh, wait it out and see what happens. And then we got more into March and April and we said, Wow, this is now maybe it'll be July or August before it's over. In the meantime, it required us really to shut down the hotels. As you'll recall, that was a mandate that came from both the state of California as well as the county of San Diego. And then it also required us to to basically close down all of the timeshare properties as well. And so we worked through that. Uh, Obviously, we were very concerned at that time from two perspectives. One is you had the guests that were part of our owner base, and we said, my goodness, what's going to happen to them? And so we did a very, very uh, deliberate public relations campaign with them to make sure they knew what we were doing and uh, that we were following the guideline, the governmental guidelines that we needed to. And at the same time, then we had to basically work through what was going to be with the groups that had booked at the hotel. Because we shut down both the Weston and the Sheraton and the Kassara. 
And I mean, like clear down to never dreamed ever in the history of my, you know, work experience, you know, which is more years than sometimes I want to acknowledge, (laughs) Uh, uh, you know, never before had we ever seen a time when you locked the door. In fact, we had to go out and buy locks for some of the properties that just, frankly, we didn't have locks for or keys. Never had to think And so we had to do a complete shutdown of that. I think what was the most painful of that whole time and that whole experience were the employees. Because we really didn't know where we were going to go. There was a lot of talk at that particular time as far as is the government going to be offering funds that will be available that companies can use to offset a lot of their labor costs. And we just didn't know where we were going to end up. So we had to do a massive pairing back of the whole labor force. And that was the most painful part of the entire COVID pandemic for us, yeah, by far. Well, and having the kind of resorts and hotels and such that you have and the volume you have, you guys employ a lot of people here. How, how, if you were fully staffed, what would your count be approximately? You know, I'd have to go back and take a look at that. I'm not, I really couldn't, uh, you know, I don't have a, a, a direct number on that, Brett, but it, it's, it's substantial. It's, it's in the hundreds. Yeah, it's substantial. So you had to lay staff off or furlough or or whatnot. Um, and then, and now we have kind of the reverse situation where, you know, things have opened up for the most part, but um, it's been challenging in the industry in general. And I'm curious for you guys, if this has been challenging as well, getting staff back to, so you can fully open and service your guests the way you'd like to. You know, it has been a real challenge. It has been. And I think there's a number of factors that cause that. And certainly, we want to wish the best for every employee that has worked for us, that currently works for us, and or will work for us in the future. So I think above all else, we want to wish everyone the very best. Having said that, there's a lot of reasons why employees did not return the way we wanted them to. Yes, you do hear, well, as much of the subsidy that the government gave to individuals, that was reason for them not to come back. And yes, that was a factor. But there's also others that let me mention, if I may. A lot of people left the industry. So they looked at the industry and they said, wow, this has been a very, very topsy ride. We have no idea when it's coming back. And so a lot of them went to the dot-com industry. Mm -hmm. When you looked at people who could work for Grubhub Mm -hmm. and some of those delivery type services, whether or not English was your first language, as long as you had a phone and you could track a map in it, you were hireable, employable. And certainly they could make, they thought at the time, and, 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 and I really don't know the, sure. f- the facts on it, but the, the, the thought was they could make a more money doing that than sure. they could working in the hotel industry. Yeah. And certainly we understand that was a part of it. A lot of people just left the area. We know of a lot of our employees because of their need to have to, to, to have a revenue source for their families. They moved out of the area and went to areas such as Las Vegas. To uh, where you know the hiring and the, and the opportunities created for them, what they could do. Yeah, that's that's a tough climate. So, with that backdrop of challenging getting back to the levels of staffing that you would like to have, um, we heard recently that the summer season of 2021, now this year, 
that the summer season in Carlsbad was really strong. And, and that's, of course, the tourists, not the business travel. But did you guys have, did you feel like that, that your numbers were good in the summer? The numbers, you know, I think were very measurable and we're very grateful for where the numbers were. Yeah. Having said that, though, when you look at the hotel industry, mm-hmm. which we, we would say has basically three drivers that yeah. bring business in, tourists are one. Mm-hmm. And what we would we would call those as individual reservation travelers, yeah. you would have the corporate and you would also have group. Um, corporate didn't come back, still has not really come back, and don't expect it to come back really till second quarter of next year. Yeah. Group, in, you divide that into two pieces. One is social. Okay. And that, which is is basically your weddings and those type of events, it's maybe nonprofit events. Some of that business has come back as everybody's anxious to get out and get something and do something Um, that that has occurred. Uh, There is some of the business group that have come back, but it's certainly not as strong as it was. And it's going to be a while before that comes back. And here's why. When you look at based the entire shutdown that occurred in the industry in yeah. California, basically all the business that was on the books for the next two years evaporated. Mm-hmm. And we wrote checks at that particular point almost to the tune of $2 million just for groups that were booked with us that we had to cancel because we had no idea how long COVID would last yeah. and what the regulation and what the environment would look like at post-COVID. Yeah. All that business has to be rebuilt. So it's going to be two or three years before the group business comes back and as robust as it was as we knew it in 2019. Leisure has basically taken a lot of the gap. So where leisure, maybe you depended on that being 35% of your overall business mix, that now has jumped to more than 50%. So that has built and taken in part of the gap that's missing with the corporate business traveler and the group business. Traditionally, when we think of travel, we think of uh, the the tourist travel from like Memorial Day to Labor Day, which of course we're pretty far past Labor Day now. So um, has that changed at all? Is it has the the touristy stuff lingered longer than Labor Day, or was there a pretty big drop off after Labor Day this season? We saw a considerable drop off, but having said that, I think for us that were associated with the brands, for us it's Marriott and Hilton. Yeah, the brands also very rigorously went after a lot of their preferred guest members, mm-hmm. uh, which we you would call your affinity guests. They attack. They went after those people pretty hard with marketing packages, mm-hmm. and so what you saw was historically where the drop off has been, either by season of summer and or the kids going back to school. Right. It's not quite that the environment today is not quite like it was ten years ago, as it relates to those two to traveling variables. So what we saw and what we have seen, and I think are continuing to see, is that that there's a lot of the leisure travel that's becoming more year-round. Yeah. So it's not as confined to just that traditional summer season and spring break or whatnot. So, well, that's good. Uh, (laughs) That's good because, as you said, the, the corporate and the business travel is not quite there. And I think, you know, the business side of it, you know, in the chamber industry, there's an annual conference once a year and it moves around to different host locations. And in February, it's going to be in Glendale. And I know 
we're all excited to go attend, you know, it's like, oh, back in person because two years of it being, no, one year on Zoom, I'm sorry. The last time we attended, it was right before COVID shut everything down. So it was February of 2020, we attended in Portland, Oregon. Then COVID came. So then in 2021, it went to Zoom. And it's just, it's not the same. I know you can get a lot of content from, you know, these kinds of events or these kinds of presentations through Zoom. But um, I know for us, like one of the biggest values is just maybe at dinner later with some of your colleagues and trading stories and learning what they do. And, you know, those kinds of things can't be replicated through virtual. So um, I hope we see the same thing here locally where conferences come back and don't just stay out on the virtual platforms. I tend to think we are going to see that. And let me give you the background of why I think that's going to happen. Many people that are out in the corporate workplace today are now working virtually. Mm -hmm. Virtually is a lot more virtual work from home, work from yeah. satellite location that there's ever been. Yeah. For example, I'm aware of a firm that, that, that does primarily, it's in the service industry. It's, it's, it's basically a big auditing firm okay. in Los Angeles. Uh, they gave back three of five of their office spaces that they held in Los Angeles County and the reason was, is they were going to have a lot of their staff work from virtually from home. Yeah. But what they also said is we also understand that people need to meet. Yes. They need, there needs to be a face-to-face -face contact. So they took the savings they had from the rent that they were going to, to not have to pay and are using all, some of those funds now to create uh, experiences that are maybe two or three day events that they're holding out at, uh, at various locations. desirable locations yeah. that, uh, that we think will probably take up some of the slack for the hotel industry that they might not have had simply because as people work virtually, they need to get out more and yeah. be with people. And if there are no office spaces to do that with, then they're going to have to find other locations to, for that to occur. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, that's, that, would be, um, that would be great if we see some companies do that. I, I was at a ribbon cutting just earlier today for a firm here in Carlsbad that kind of was following the similar trajectory that you just mentioned, service-based um, they moved to a new office location. They're both their old and their new are here in Carlsbad, but they reduced their square footage by half because so many people are working effectively from home. And uh, even with reducing it by half, they still feel like it's at the moment fairly empty when they go in there. But, um, I, you know, they, they want to have some gathering place for their team for the same reasons that you just mentioned. He was mentioning that there's staff members that joined their firm in the last 18 months that today's the first day they've ever met in person, ever. And they're having a holiday thing today. So it was, yeah, it's just weird, weird times, unprecedented. Well, I think for any company to develop camaraderie within their own organization and or to develop more of what their goals, objectives are, Hard to do all of that virtually. It is. So another aspect of your business that is uh, important is giving back. You guys are very big at um, supporting things in the community. And uh, I was online and looking at your website. And one of your favorites seems to be the Send Me on Vacation um, charity, 
which uh, is specifically focused on breast cancer survivors. So tell us a little bit about that and how you guys got connected to them. And It came from an employee who actually went through the experience that then came forward and said, is this something that the company can then support for us to do? And of course, you know, we try to, to basically make it work. You know, we want as many participants as we can, uh, if not financially giving of their own money, at least being the, the face person out in front sure. of whatever the initiative is that we're giving towards. Uh, yeah, very nice. And then there was another one called Crystal House. Educational Opportunities for Disadvantaged Youth. Um, and then, of course, I know you guys support almost everything in Carlsbad, it seems like. So well, why is corporate giving such a big part of your culture? You know, I think when we hear a lot of companies, a lot of my fellow companies that are here, businesses here in Carlsbad, we've all been blessed. Yeah. And so I think for me, what's very important, I know for David as well, mm-hmm. uh, my business partner, uh, it's very important that we give back to the community uh, of what we can, both with a lot of the, I think, of what our individual um, maybe uh, thoughts might be in a certain area, such as Crystal House. Both he and I are very, very supportive of that, which nice. is basically going out through you know uh, various countries throughout the world and setting up educational processes. It was started by Crystal DeHaan, who was one of the initial founders in the timeshare industry. And uh, as she sold her company to another publicly held organization, she said, you know, it's now time for me to give back. And so she went out and established full educational programs, Mm -hmm. educational locations. She says it's important that we teach people computer skills. We teach them how to read the English language and we just educate them in, in, you know, generally speaking. And so she set things, she set up, you know, in Mexico City, South uh, um, South Africa. She had something she had going in Indianapolis. She had something going in India. She had something going in the Philippines. So she spent many, much of her wealth towards what she called Crystal House, which was, she said, I need to basically educate as many children of the world as I can. So I think the timeshare industry as a whole embraced that. And so a lot of us, uh, my fellow uh, peers in the uh, timeshare industry have said, this is something that we want to support. And so we hold, you know, an annual charity event for them every year, as well as we try to do other programs throughout the year to raise money for that organization. That's great. And you guys are also um, not just financially generous. You guys give of your time. Several of you have have and currently do serve on various boards and nonprofits in town. And, and you served here at the chamber for years. I mean, that's uh, lending that time and um, talent is much appreciated by all the organizations that you guys serve. So um, we, I, on behalf of all of them, thank you. Let me share a little story with you on that okay. one, if I might. Um, There's a lady by Irma Cota who used to basically run the, uh, I think it was North County Health Services. And just to tell you how close things get to home, she said, Tim, I'd like to have a meeting with you. Now, I knew of her and had served with her on a council that I was on for Cal State San Marcos at an earlier time. So she says, I want to come and see you. And so she came to the office and she said, okay, she says, I'm going to get right to the point with you, Tim. Do you know how many of your employees I service through my healthcare organization? And I said, Irma, I don't know. And she says, Tim, 
It's more than 20. I want to know what you can do for our organization uh, financially. And I said, you know, and I thought to myself real quickly, I says, you know, Irma, you're right. What can we do? So I think everything in our community really does go full circle, Brett. It starts with, you know, the companies that have done well, but it also very quickly goes down to the employee base of who they have and where they are served at. And I can tell you, as you've probably seen, we we very much support the Boys and Girls Club of Carlsbad. Again, I got to tell you, a lot of our employees' kids are serviced through that organization. Makes sense. So it's the least we can do sure. to give back. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, that is uh, amazing. And uh, obviously, um, from the chamber perspective, I wish every company in Carlsbad thought that way. Um, the whole community would benefit from that. I really appreciate you taking time to come and share about Grand Pacific and you know the, the challenges and hopefully the full throttle bounce back that we're gonna be all experiencing uh you know it's 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 getting there but uh it's not there yet so we'll we'll keep hoping for that (laughs) thanks for joining us on our carlsbad people purpose and impact podcast today if you enjoyed it please hit the follow button on wherever you get your audio and please tell a friend we would love to hear your feedback which you can share at carlsbadpodcast.com You can leave us a review, ask a question, or leave an audio comment, which we can play on the show in the future. And that's all we have for today. Can't wait to see you next time on Carlsbad People, Purpose, and Impact. And remember, share some kindness today. It's free, creates goodwill, and makes you feel great.